This is KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. A few months into the freshman year of Paradise High School's Class of 2022, the campfire, the deadliest and most destructive wildfire in California's history, ignited and burned for 17 days, destroying much of their town. Tonight, the California Report explores the impact of that fire on the students and talks with the valedictorian of Paradise High School's Class of 2022, Simon Dixon. After regional headlines and weather, Felton Pruitt chats with Pete Luday, board chairman of the California Bluegrass Association. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Late last week, Paradise High School's class of 2022 graduated. For the seniors who lived in Paradise and the surrounding area for all of high school, the past four years have been chaotic, to say the least. A few months into their freshman year in 2018, the deadliest fire in California history, the campfire, broke out nearby and spread to their town. Over 80 people were killed, almost 19,000 structures were destroyed, and tens of thousands of people were displaced. Simon Dixon, a recent graduate of Paradise High, remembers the morning the fire started. By first period, he says, ash was falling from the sky, and it became quickly clear everyone needed to evacuate. I was stuck at the school for a while, uh, waiting for a ride, because my mom was um, up, like, up in Megalia, gathering up my siblings um, at the house. So I had to wait here for a ride from a teacher and the, it got like pitch black, um, dri- dri- driving to Chico, the na- you know, the neighboring city. Um, like at certain points we were driving, it's just like an inferno on both sides of the road. Colleen Haggerty is a freelance journalist based in Los Angeles who's been covering Paradise since shortly after the campfire. She interviewed Simon and three other high school students for a recent Teen Vogue piece. Her story looks at how natural disasters have and will continue to shape the lives of young people here in California and everywhere. Colleen, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me to talk about such an important topic. Tell me a little bit more about Simon's background um, and his experience after the campfire. Simon is one of nine children, and he is right in the middle. He has four older siblings and four younger siblings. So that is a crowded household to relocate, especially in the middle of a disaster. And you know, Simon also, he he grew up in a family where a lot of his siblings had been through school. They told him these great stories about all the milestones you hit at Paradise High School, about being on the football team and participating in all these extracurriculars. So maybe more so even than other students, like he had a lot to look forward to and was really excited about his time in school. Many of the students experience not only the trauma of surviving the campfire, but also a global pandemic all within their high school, their four years of high school. Simon put it best when he said he felt like the rug just got pulled out from under him. Uh, it was kind of like just having like, like the rug snatched from underneath my feet. I was getting, I was getting used to, um, I was getting used to normalcy again. I was getting used to being on campus, seeing people daily. And then, you know, boom, I'm back online. Uh, all, like that, all too familiar. Just like 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 at home curriculum. With with COVID happening, it was it was kind of it was, was kind of like like being sent back into this like kind of hostile learning environment. 
And I know you spoke with experts, too, about the impact that this kind of instability can have on young people. What are some of the things that they shared with you? One area that every expert I spoke with really agreed on is how essential school is in the aftermath of disaster. And one expert, Alice Fothergill, who's a sociologist, even said it's this basically joke about what they went through to process it in these ways that they might not feel comfortable with at home, to have conversations and, and make it feel more normal for them to talk about these extraordinary situations that they found themselves in. Um, it's become normal, which is kind of sad because like it's definitely not normal to have like melted signs, have so many empty lots. I remember the forest used to be a lot thicker, um, like, like being able to see so far in the forest, my, the way my dad put it, it, you know, it's like it's like seeing your mom naked, like it's not right to be able to see that much, you know? As climate change continues to intensify, kids are likely going to be exposed to disasters like this more and more, unfortunately. Are there any takeaways that you'd want to offer us as we think about that moving forward? One of the experts I spoke with was Lori Peak, and she's the director of the Natural Hazard Center in Colorado. She also is a co-author of Children of Katrina. And one thing she said to me and, and something she thought about when I told her about these students was that we often discount the talents and the hearts of young people after disasters when they really have a lot to contribute to their communities. So I think that's just something that's really important to remember is we need to be talking to students more about what these experiences mean to them and then taking that into consideration and empowering them to take action in the aftermath. You can find Colleen's story at teenvogue.com. We'd also like to send one last shout out to Simon Dixon, the valedictorian of Paradise High School's Class of 2022. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals. PersonalCapital.com. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at PaintCare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. The Central Valley-based poultry giant Foster Farms has been sold to a private equity firm, ending the company's 80-plus years of family ownership. Connecticut-based Atlas Holdings says it has bought Foster Farms and that Donnie Smith, the former chief executive officer of Tyson Foods, will become the company's next CEO. Foster Farms has been privately owned and operated by the Foster family since it was founded in Modesto in 1939. The poultry company is a major employer in the Central Valley with 10,000 or so employees at chicken and turkey farms and processing plants throughout the region and elsewhere in the country. Many of its workers are hired through temp agencies. In a statement, incoming CEO Donnie Smith said the company doesn't have plans to change the number of people on its team and will work with staff across all locations to strengthen and grow the company. And that's the California Report for Friday, June 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin, Jim Bennett, Brendan Willard, and Chris Hoff, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producer is Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Mary Franklin Harvin. 
Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Some more transportation news for you today. Caltrans announced that they will resume extended Interstate 80 ramp and lane closures between Kingvale and the Nevada State Line for paving next week. Ramps and freeway lanes throughout the region will be closed intermittently for paving, joint sealing, striping, and concrete curing time. The $2.4 million project is addressing deteriorated interstate on and off ramps and cracked roadway concrete slabs at various locations in Nevada and Placer counties. The I-80 eastbound on-ramp at Kingvale is scheduled to be closed from 9 p.m. on Sunday, June 12th, through Sunday, June 19th, and the I-80 westbound on-ramp at Castle Peak, Boreal Ridge, is scheduled to be closed from 9 p.m. Sunday, June 12th, through noon, Friday, June 17th. Looking now at regional weather, tonight in Grass Valley and Nevada City, mostly clear with a low around 64. Saturday, sunny with a high near 88. Saturday night, mostly clear, with a low around 62. On Sunday, Grass Valley and Nevada City will see a 50% chance of showers and be partly sunny, with a high near 72. Sunday night brings a 20% chance of showers before 11 p.m. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area, tonight mostly clear, with a low around 50. Saturday, sunny, with a high near 77. Saturday night, mostly clear, with a low around 50 degrees. Sunday, a slight chance of showers, then a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m. Then it'll be partly sunny with a high near 62. On Sunday night, Truckee and the Lake Tahoe area will see a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 11 p.m. Then it'll be partly cloudy with a low around 35. And in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight mostly clear with a low around 70 degrees. Saturday will be sunny and hot with a high near 101 degrees. On Saturday night, Sacramento will see mostly clear skies with a low around 67. Sunday, a 20% chance of showers, but mostly sunny with a high near 85. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. California Bluegrass Association's Father's Day Festival is this year, June 16th through the 19th. Coming up next, Felton Pruitt gets all the details from Pete Luday, board chairman of the California Bluegrass Association. We're talking with Pete Luday. He's the board chairman from the California Bluegrass Association who are putting on their, I guess we're going to call it the 44th annual Father's Day Bluegrass Festival here in Grass Valley next weekend. Welcome, Pete. Well, thanks so much. Really appreciate the chance to talk about one of my favorite events. Oh, and one of ours, too. I think we've been broadcasting it over, is it almost 40 years now? We've been broadcasting it? I don't know. It seems like a long time. <laughs> it goes on a long time. Yeah, this goes back to 1977, I think, was the first one, or 76. 76, uh, June of 76. That's a legendary mark, yeah. All right. So uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of uh, history there. I was just reading uh, an article out of uh, the, your, your magazine 
that Keith Little wrote about the first time and going and like peering through the fence back and I I don't even know it might have been 75 or whenever when they were looking for it and maybe even Carl Pagter was a part of that that little excursion to look for a new site for a new festival and uh, they started exactly they hopped over the fence and apparently there was guard dogs they didn't know about uh, (laughs) thank goodness they were young at the time and were able to uh, discover that festival fairgrounds which i understand is known as one of the most beautiful fairgrounds in california it it absolutely is and you're coming here next week we are Um, we have a, a lot of things going on during the week the big father's day festival opens up on Thursday, that's June 16th, and continues through Sunday. But even before then, we're holding a music camp, so a few hundred of the really dedicated musicians are going to be out there uh, taking music lessons in a very collaborative environment, um, and that starts on Sunday. There's still maybe a couple tickets available for that, too, or a couple registrations, but we're expecting a really big crowd at the festival starting on Thursday. Yeah, we've been we've been shut out for the last three years because of that darn pandemic, but we get to come back again and gather and listen to the picking and grinning of those fiddles and banjos. Thanks to what you people like you have been doing, figuring, kind of teaching us all how we could be online and have digital experiences over the past two years because we've needed to, and it's been nice that the community has stepped up and. Uh, our California Bluegrass Association has a n- done a number of online events and raised money for musicians and for our youth program, and it's been very successful. But you're right. There's nothing like getting back together and hearing live music and being able to pick and, and have fun with our colleagues. So it's going to be a wonderful experience. Let's talk a little bit about some of the great uh, musicians that you've got coming there. Of course, one of the greats of all time, Bill Monroe's former road manager, Peter Rowan, coming to the festival. That's right. And in his bluegrass band configuration, the Peter Rowan Bluegrass Band, so that's going to be a real highlight. We're very lucky to get him. We have some other terrific bands like uh, Michael Cleveland and Fame Flamekeeper. He's a award-winning fiddle player. He started at four. In fact, I've heard him referred to as one of the best improvisational musicians of any sort performing today. And I wouldn't dispute that description. He's just amazing. Uh, but we really try to mix it up and have different perspectives and different view, you know, types of music. So we have Della May, the uh, um, Grammy Award or nominees for um, an all-woman bluegrass band that has been performing and does a huge fan base, Della May. And we have the Onlys uh, representing some terrific old-time music from up in Portland. Uh, Dom Flemings will be there, the American songster. And uh, local favorites, Kathy Callick, uh, Bluegrass Band, and Laurie Lewis in the Right Hands, uh, John Reichman. There's about 30 bands altogether that are going to be performing over the course of those four days on three stages. And you've also got one of the hot young bluegrass bands happening right now, which is A.J. Lee. That's our, uh, yeah, absolutely, our, our showcase band for this year, A.J. Lee and Blues Summit. A.J., of course, many of you know, has been a fixture at the Father's Day Festival, a result of the uh, or, you know, wonderful musicianship, but um, a, a key part of our Kids on Bluegrass program. So she was on stage, I remember back when she was eight and nine years old, wowing audiences then and hasn't let out in her current band configuration. I've just heard them in a couple of gigs. It's outstanding. And we also have uh, North Country Blue, which is another young, fantastic bluegrass band. They haven't been able to perform, of course, like everybody else with the pandemic, but I had a chance to see them, and it just blew me out of the water a couple days ago, uh, last week, actually. So we're really looking forward to the next generation of bluegrass being showcased. 
We're talking with Pete Luday from the California Bluegrass Association, who are bringing the Father's Day Bluegrass Festival to the Nevada County Fairgrounds in Grass Valley this coming Thursday through Sunday. Always a fun time. Hey, what do you guys think about Molly Tuttle's new song about Grass Valley and your festival? Isn't that something? Yeah. Boy, how many times do you have a festival with a song? Um, you know, that's written about it by one of our favorites. So it, it, not only were we very proud that she uh, sings that song, but it's a good song, darn it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, it's called Grass Valley. If you folks want to look it up, it's on Molly Tuttle's latest album. And uh, she sings about just coming to the festival and, and just falling in love with bluegrass. And that's what you guys can do next weekend. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. And it's a magical place to hear that kind of music, too, just hearing it going through the trees and, and the fairgrounds and stuff. And then the camping situation has become legendary. Well, you know, a lot of festivals are famous for having a couple stages. You know, we're running three stages uh, of music, um, and people go out and see the, the acts, and they really enjoy it. But um, I think the Father's Day Festival is pretty unique in that the real music is happening around the campsites 24 hours a day, midnight, 3 in the morning, we have great camping um, throughout the pine forests and RV spot throughout the facilities. And it's kind of segregated. So there's a tent only area, kind of a quiet area. If you actually plan on sleeping, I don't know why you would do that. And then there's all the various picking areas, old time hill. And we have a unique culture of people that are attending being um, superb musicians and enthusiastic musicians. And you'll those wander up and down uh, between the campsites and, find great jams to participate in. And if you want to bring your instrument, everybody's welcome. And there's beginner jams and expert jams and is inspirational jams of all sorts. So what do people need to know before they come? What's your uh, vaccination policy going to be like for the getting in? Well, good question. So um, we require either a proof of vaccination, according to the CDC, which is basically the two shots, um, or a negative test result. And that could be done through any of the um, test clinics or labs. If you go to our website, fathersdayfestival.com, uh, you'll find information on how you could uh, have a test kit sent to you. And then there's this little service that you set up for a couple of bucks. I'll do a 10-minute Zoom call to supervise your test and walk you through it and then send the results into us. Or you could do a test at any of the clinics, or you could just send your vaccination card. Um, there's a, a way to post it on that. Um, you could load it in advance. There's a link on our website, fathersdayfestival.com. So you can preload your vax card. Or if you procrastinate like some people, like me sometimes, if you just show up gate, at gate four and bring your documentation, it'll be just fine. Okay. I know a lot of people, they kind of stress out on, oh, gosh, what do I got to do to get in? But it's really pretty simple. Yes. I mean, we try to make it easy. So for those that plan ahead, you could get a test in advance online. You can set your VAX card online, or you could just show up at the gate and we'll take care of it. That'll take a little bit longer. You know, we encourage people to do as much as possible up front, but we know how life is. When does the gate open for folks coming in for camping? So it'll be open at 9 o'clock on Thursday. The music starts at 10 o'clock on the main stage, and uh, people will be scurrying for their campsites and stuff. And there is pre-festival camping available, so some people will be showing up uh, well in advance of Thursday to pick out camp spots and just kind of hang out in preparation for the festival. So um, the gates will be open starting this Sunday. A lot of people will be arriving for a music camp, but other people just like to hang out. There's a small fee for pre-festival camping, but if you buy a four-day pass to the festival, 
then all the dry camping is included within that. There's no extra costs. I remember going to some of the uh, music camps, too, and Lori Lewis was always part of them this time. Who's, who are your teachers this year? Oh, you're going to ask me the hard questions there. We have a great lineup of teachers for it, um, cbamusiccamp.com, and um, I'm not going to try to quote those offhand, but we have 18 teachers, around 200 students, um, and it's a, a great team of folks. It's, uh, and they, they run from um, all the instruments, and from uh, beginners through intermediates and even advanced classes in each. And uh, most of them are sold out, but there's still a few seats available. And you have a, a long list of alumni that has gone through there over the years. Well, we do. Of course, A.J. Lee, uh, Molly Tuttle has been both a student and an instructor at the classes and giving workshops for it. Uh, John Reichman has been our instructor for many years. And um, just it's been um, a, a, a long history and over over 25 years we've been holding this camp every year and uh it's a great chance a lot of people just keep coming back year over year it's not kind of a one-time thing but it's something that's sort of addictive once you start playing and learning and having fun with people it's uh, hard to stop all right well we've been talking with pete luday from the california bluegrass association the father's day bluegrass festival starting this coming thursday running through sunday at the nevada county fairgrounds in grass valley we can't wait to see all of you come up here pete can't wait to see you guys up there. And if more info, everything you want to know is at fathersdayfestival.com. Perfect. We've been talking with Pete Luday. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. That's our newscast for this Friday, June 10th. KVMR gets support from Habitat for Humanity Restore, selling repurposed home improvement and building materials, including doors, furniture, appliances, and hard-to-find unusual treasures. Accepting donations with pickup services available. Open Tuesday through Saturday at 9 a.m. on Loma Rica Drive in Grass Valley. nchabitat.org and Tripp's Auto Body Shop, locally owned and operated by the Tripp family, offering collision, dent, and automotive frame repair and detailing for over 65 years. Open weekdays 8 to 5 on Freeman Lane in Grass Valley. TrippsAutoBody.com Stick around. Up next, the California Report Magazine. This is Claudio Mendonca signing off. Thanks again for supporting your community radio station. Have a great weekend and meet me right here at 6 o'clock for the Monday edition of the KVMR Evening News.